Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Well, good morning. Call to love and to long, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 is our passage this morning. You can turn to it. You know, it is the things that we love and long for that define who we are. Tell me what you love, who you love, what you love to do, how you spend your money, how you spend your time, how you entertain yourselves, and what you long for, the things that you desire can tell us much about you. It is that those things that we pursue and pour our energy into, the things that we love and long for. Have you ever also noticed, though, that the very things that we love and long for can bring us both happiness and sadness? It's those very things that can bring us joy, but also destroy us sometimes. Today, Peter is going to call us to love and to long those things which will last for eternity. Over the last few weeks, we have learned three imperatives found in verses 13 through 21, those passages. Peter has commanded that those that have received the mercies of God are to set their hope fully on the future grace of eternal inheritance by pursuing holiness and obeying God's word with fear. This week, Peter moves from individual commands to instructions for community relationships in the church. God knows very well that the children of God who are exiled in a world that is hostile to their faith will need a safe place that will build up and encourage each other. So with that, let's read the passage today. 1, verse 22 through 25, and then we'll read the second passage as we go. We'll have two different passages this morning. The first one, Peter writes, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flowers of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls. But the word of God, the word of the Lord, excuse me, remains forever. And this is the word, is the good news that was preached to you. Father, Open up our minds and hearts to your word this morning. Show us the things that we are to love and show us the things that we're to long for. Lord, that we may please you as we live out our lives on this earth that's hostile to our faith, but yet desirous to win others to Christ. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. After setting down the commands to pursue holiness and obedience in our individual walk in life, Peter now addresses the community at large. The last two commands centered on how the children of God were to live among those that were hostile to God. How do we live among those who do not love God? Now Peter gives instructions on how to live life together as brothers and sisters in Christ. So how do believers now live together? Community relationships are important. I think you understand that. A social fabric of our lives is very important. We were not designed and created to live life alone. A house divided is a house that will fall. 
The Old Testament prophet Amos asks, can two walk together except they be agreed? Obviously, the answer is no. But the all-knowing, all-wise God knew that when he exiled us into a world hostile to our faith, a world that does not love God nor his children, that we would need a safe place, a refuge, a place that would embrace and love its own, a place where his children can be taught, encouraged, served, and even be corrected. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Ephesians chapter 3 with me. The local church is the visible expression of the invisible kingdom of God. We saw that as we studied in Matthew and other portions of Scripture. It is the local church that Christians are called to be a part of. It is the local church where we are to serve. It is the local church leaders that we are to submit to. It is the local church that bears witness to the work of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul writes to the church of Ephesus in verse 7 when he says, Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden of ages or hidden for ages in God who created all things. Verse 10, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal, eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the church was God's plan. The church is God's people. It is not a byproduct. It is not just a social construct. It's not just a cultural phenomenon. Paul goes on to teach them that even marriage itself is a representation not of just two people loving each other, but it's actually about the relationship between Jesus and his people. In Ephesians chapter 5, if you're still there, you can turn to chapter 5, look at verse 25, where scripture tells us Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. When he said it is finished, he's speaking of his, res- or his death. We are justified, but in it, he's building up just not a person, but a people, a church. You see, another mark of the genuine believer is love. And the church is a place where love reigns. When we come into this church, love should be one of its biggest marks. The church is where the church, excuse me, is where sin, fight, sin fighting, battled, wearied Christians can receive instructions and encouragement and correction and rest. It is a place where if anyone is caught in a transgression, we who are spiritual will restore that person in a spirit of gentleness. It is a place where we bear one another's burdens while also speaking the truth in love so that we all may grow up into every way into Christ from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which is equipped. And when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up 
in love. That's the church. That is what's here this morning. Not just the building, not the four walls, not the sound system, just not even us as, as just people, but as a body of Christ joined together. And it's into this context that Peter commands his readers to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. The command is simply here in this passage is to love one another earnestly. How we love is earnestly. In other words, genuinely, just as Paul writes in Romans chapter 12 and verse 9, he says, let your love be genuine. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. This type of earnest, genuine love for each other can only come from a pure heart. You and I are not able to do it from ourselves. In fact, Peter bases his command to love one another in the fact that they have been purified in their souls by their obedience to the truth. Having done so, having a heart that's been purified leads you and I to brotherly love. This brotherly love is a special love for fellow believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, this was one of the mark that Jesus said that would identify them as his disciples in John 13, where he says to his disciples, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, are we to love those outside the church? Yes, but there is a special love, a special dispensation that we're to have for brothers and sisters in Christ. And that should be very demonstrable in God's church. When Peter writes about a purified souls and a pure heart, he's not referring to having good intentions or just having moral superiority, but building on what he has written of earlier. He's writing of a heart that is clean, unsoiled, and innocent. Now, you and I should not be ignorant of what Scripture says about the natural heart. For all those are born from the moment their heart begins to beat, as soon as they are conceived, we see that the Bible has something to say even then. The prophet Jeremiah declared that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, he says, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his way, according to the fruit of his deeds. Jesus himself preached, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good fruit, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. And Jesus warned the Pharisees, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts and murders, adulteries, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. That is the state of each and every one of our hearts. It's impure. It's soiled. It's disobedient. It's in rebellion against its creator and maker. Yet God promised a new covenant. One that will involve a heart transplant. The Old Testament prophet Ezekiel quotes this promise of God when he says, And I will give them one heart, and a new spirit will I put within them. I will move the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them, and they shall be my people, and I shall be their God. Jesus declared in the Sermon of the Mount, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 
In John's Gospel, he records the promise of Jesus who said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart he will give rivers of living water. Then lastly, Paul declares the Gospel when he writes in Romans, With the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Thomas Schreiner, what theologian and pastor, notes, that the command to love is rooted in our conversion. It is the purification of our hearts that enable us to love, as we saw in our scripture reading earlier. We cannot love outside of God. Without God's intervention, you and I cannot love as God loves. This conversion leads to a genuine love for fellow believers. Hence, why God, Jesus says, you know, they will know you are my disciples by your love. It is only with this purified heart that we can truly leave it, love each other. It is only with this new heart that we can love earnestly, genuinely. It is only with this heart that we can obey the truths that are found in Scripture. We have been both purified and born again. The obedience Peter is referring to is their obedience to the gospel to repent of their sin, believe in who Jesus is, confess that Jesus is Lord in their sinful state, and put their trust in God. Peter notes that we have been purified and born again by both the word of God and by the will of God. Paul writes in Ephesians, In him also speaking of Jesus, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, and believed in him, in Jesus, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. It's both by the word of God and the will of God. We must resist any effort to separate our salvation in Jesus from the truths of Scripture. It is not only a sad development, but it's also a dangerous one when many people today make a profession of being a Christian, of loving Jesus, yet denying the importance of Scripture to guide our life or dismiss its relevancy to how we think and act today. We cannot separate the gospel, how we are saved, from the rest of the truths in Scripture. Take your Bibles, if you would, again, and turn to 1 John chapter 5. The Apostle John is known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He wrote in his first letter, 1 John, I'm sorry, 1 John, I might have told you John. But in 1 John chapter 5, near the end of the New Testament, in verse 1 he says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God in what? Obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. You and I, when we love, it only comes because of the word of God and by the will of God. Scriptures are the very word of God that reveal to us all things that pertain to life and godliness and where we learn of his precious and very great promises. It's so that through them, you and I may become partakers of the divine nature of Christ, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires, the word of God and the will of God. And as we come and we obey that truth, we are now purified, we are born again, and that enables you and I to love, and we are to love earnestly. 
verse 23 as we continue in 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter contrasts our earthly birth with our spiritual birth. Our earthly birth is seeded with seeds that perish. Though birth is a wonderful miracle that comes through the union of a man and a woman that bears life, that life eventually dies. Our lives are fragile, we know this. Our lives are like a vapor relative to time. Yet our spiritual birth is seated with the word of God that will endure forever. Peter calls the word of God the living and abiding word of God. This is why I pray scripture and in my messages I use many scriptures. I won't apologize for it because to be honest the best thing that I could give you as your shepherd is the scripture. When I share with you the scripture, you have something to anchor your soul and your life and you can stand on something firm. When I get up here and I give you illustrations and I give you jokes and I give you video and I give you my opinion, you are going to be hopeless if you put any anchor on there. Amen? And so that's why in my prayers and in my, and in my message, you will hear me give lots of scripture. I may not give you the, the addresses, but I'm going to to, to saturate it with Scripture because there are the words of life. Now, Pastor, I understand that as a human that I can be like a, like a clock. I can be right at least twice, a broken clock. I can be right twice a day. And so there's sometimes I am. So that's why I say let's be like Bereans. Let's search the Scriptures to be as such things are so. When I stand on the word of God, then say amen. When I work away from it and I disagree with the word of God or I pull us from the word of God, then let's that time that you come with pitchforks and firebrands. Yeah. That's what came into mind. See, that's the thing. If I stick with scripture, I'm okay. You never know where I'm going to go. Fire and brimstone. There we go. Yes. Let's go back to the message. So that's why I give you much scripture, because it's where there's, there's the words of life. That's where you and I stand. Thank you. Peter then references Isaiah 40 to illustrate the enduring word of God when he writes, all flesh is like grass and it's all its glory like the flower of grass. That's what Peter's writing there. He's quoting that portion of scripture. The grass, with, the grass withers and the flower falls. The context of that original passage was God's promise to the nation of Israel. He was promising them that though they were experiencing judgment via the different nations that had defeated them and were oppressing them, that God would never forget Israel. He's trying to give them encouragement. He's trying to challenge them. Don't give up. Be, uh, be instant in season or be, be ready to go. Trust in me. I will restore you. His word is a promise that will not fail. Peter uses this passage to encourage these elect exiles of Asia Minor to not give in. He's referring them back to a similar time when his people were defeated and being oppressed and persecuted. I will not forget you. My promises are sure. To remember that even if they are suffering hardship and persecution, do not let those things quench the love that they are to show one another. Is that not what happens to many marriages and many relationships? They love one another when things are going well. But when things start to get tough, when the pressure starts to, to come, what happens? Their love for each other. 
begins to be quenched. And that happens in the word of God or in, the, in the, this world as well to the people of God. It's when we start suffering, we begin to quench the love that we have for each other. Instead, because of their hardship, they were to especially love one another. Sufferings, persecution should not diminish your love and break your love. It should make it stronger. It should make it fuller. We should open it up greater. Peter encourages them that the word of the Lord remains forever. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah quotes God in in chapter 55 of that book. When he says, for as the rains and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth, or making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the things for which I sent it. You and I can understand that. We're driving up the 57. We see the beautiful snow in the mountains. But that snow is not wasted. It melts and it comes and it comes down to the creeks and the riverbeds and it helps spread things. It not only takes care of our water needs, but it makes things sprout. In the same way, God's word is not void. It doesn't just evaporate without any staying power. The writer of Hebrew declares that the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrows, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This word of God that Peter writes of is the good news that was preached to you. Jesus told the disciples in John chapter 3, he said, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. We're to love earnestly because we've been purified and born again by the word of God that will last forever. Take your Bible once again and turn to Romans chapter 10. I want to look at a little bit larger portion of Scripture as we continue on. In Romans chapter 10, we see this good news is the gospel that leads to life. Sharing the good news with others is the greatest way that you and I can show love to others. It's how we can love earnestly. Look at Romans chapter 10, and I believe we're going to start with verse 9. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the message that you and I need to, sh- to shout, to share. For with the heart one believes and is justified. With the mouth one, uh, with the mouth one confesses and saved. For the scripture says in verse 11, who, everyone who believes in him shall not be put to shame. In verse 13, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 11, here's that great message, that great gospel that goes to the world. There is no distinction between Jew and and Greek. There's the Lord is the same Lord. But look at verse 14. But how then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? And as is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing 
through the word of Christ. The greatest way that you and I can love others genuinely is to preach the gospel. Not only to those that are lost, but as we come in here today and we're seeking refuge from a world that seems to oppress us, we ought to be speaking the gospel to each other. You are loved of God. You are one of God's children. There is no condemnation. Let's sing the promises of God. Let's pray the promises of God. Let's encourage one another as we pray this week for the return of Christ. The gospel must be prominent even in the church of God. It should not be taken for granted. And then let me tell you the last one that needs to be preached too. The gospel, the word of God needs to be preached to you, your soul. For you, your soul, come in each morning many times feeling condemned, feeling unworthy, feeling that God doesn't love you. Ben Shapiro says, but facts don't care about your feelings. I love that phrase. So let me tell you, the word of God, those facts don't care about your feelings. If you are one of God's, you are loved. His promises are sure. Hold on to those. And let's love each other with the gospel. Now, as we move to chapter 2, Peter now warns them that loving one another is not easy. It is not our default position. It is not something that we just do of our own. It's not as easy as we think. And I think you know that. There are many things that work against the church in obeying this command to love one another earnestly with a brotherly love. So let's go to chapter 2 and we want to read verses 1 through 3. It's here on the screen if you need it, but also in your Bible in 1 Peter. For Peter goes on to say, So... Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed, if you have tasted that the Lord is good. In our scripture reading earlier, Randy read in 1 John chapter 4. John had warned, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Wonderful statement. However, he also says, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is loved. There's a warning here. If you are not loving your brothers and sisters in Christ, there's a warning that you may not be one of God's children. This is a sobering warning. Loving one another is not a suggestion or good advice, but a command. To not love the children of God is to give evidence that you are lost and under the wrath of God. And to be honest, loving one another is difficult. It is messy. We still struggle with the flesh and its constant desire to satisfy our own desires and passions and to promote our own welfare, even at the expense of others. The church, brothers and sisters of Christ, are not immune to this desire and this sin of rebellion. Yet we are called to love each other. It will be a struggle. Understanding the importance to love and the need of experiencing that love Peter writes that they are to put away anything that will prevent them from obeying. The command to love earnestly must lead to putting away those things which quench our love. The command to put away is found throughout the New Testament. 
In Romans, Paul says, let us cast off the works of darkness. In Colossians, he says, now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander. He goes on to say in James, James, the brother of Jesus said this, put away all filthiness and wrath and wickedness. Here Peter lists five things that you and I, as Christians, ought to put away. First one is malice. This entails a wickedness. It's usually a catch-off or wickedness that comes from within a person. You know, it talks about anger, anger and malice. We always think of those are the same, but it's different. You can be angry but not have malice. Malice is a, is a wickedness. It's almost a hatred towards a person. It also describes feelings and desires that you and I hide from others that can cause harm or cause da- damage. It tells us to put away this type of feeling. It's very dangerous. It also calls us to put away deceit. This speaks of entrapping or fraud or trickery. It's many times a word that's used to describe Satan and his works in which he tries to deceive as, 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 the, as the serpent deceived Eve. It also tells us to put away hypocrisy. Interesting, that word was originally used of actors that played a part on a screen or on the play, on a stage. They pretend to be ingenuine. We all know the word hypocrisy. We all understand it because we usually look at one in the mirror each and every morning as we shave or brush our teeth or when we put ourselves in bed. We all are playing a part on a stage. Hypocrisy. He also goes on to say that we need to put away envy. This is a a jealousy. It's about holding grudges or ill will. It's a debt that says that God owes me. I want what they have. I want what God has given them. And then lastly, he says to give away or put away all slander. That's defamation and backbiting, gossip, speaking evil of someone. We need to put those things away. These things quench love. Dr. Schreiner writes that the sins listed tear at the social fabric of the church, ripping away the threads of love that keep them together. And you and I have probably, many of us have been in churches long enough or maybe in our marriages and our families have seen these very types of things come in and tear away at the fabric of your family and your social constructs. They tear away. They rip away. Sometimes it's more like little termites that you can't see that are just eating away and biting away and destroy the very thing that you want. Peter says you got to put these away. They, these things here will tear your church up. If we were to look at 1 Corinthians, we see exactly many of these very same things were the roots of what was going on in that church. So carnal, they were seeking their own desires. They were seeking their own passions and it tore that church apart. And even here, we've experienced that. But he says, put this away. In other words, this type of sin is not to be tolerated in a covenant community. And I would share with you, it cannot be. That's why we must expose it. We must put it away. To truly love means that we speak the truth in love and that we name sin for what it is. However, too often, not only in our own families, but in our own family of churches, we have allowed sin to just play out. We don't confront it. I know I've been guilty of that myself. But it tears away at the fabric that God is creating with His children. 
Paul would instruct the Roman believers, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. And we think of that, but we need to hold fast to what is good. We need to abhor what is evil. Each and every one of these attitudes rip at the heart of the second commandment that's found in Matthew 22 where Jesus said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. To allow these attitudes in the church will lead to the church's destruction and to the people and those who are following through it. These attitudes are hallmarks of the world. The children of disobedience, those that are rebellion, are rebellion against the kingdom of God, they should not be named among God's people, the bride of Christ. These are the things that you and I are fighting. It's why we're giving the gospel to put these things away, to realize that they have no power over us. These attitudes betray our selfish desires to satisfy our own passions. And if they are not quenched, they can lead one to suffer the wrath of God as it gives proof that one may not be adopted by God at all, but really truly are children of Satan. And instead of craving after their own passions and their own desires, Paul gives a second command there. And that's the command is to long for the pure spiritual milk. This is the second command in our passage today. The first was to love our brothers and sisters in Christ earnestly. The second is to long for pure spiritual milk. You must put these away, and instead you must long for something different. Crave something different. Peter uses the illustration of a newborn baby who desires milk. A baby will cry for hours when hungry, and the only thing that will satisfy them is milk. Now, Peter here is not referring in this case. Scripture does do it at some places, but here he's not referring to new Christians, but he's pointing out that like a baby, you and I should earn for the substance that gives life and causes one to grow and will truly satisfy. In this case, spiritually is how we're to be satisfied and to grow. As he did in the previous passage, Peter is referring to the Word of God, the Scriptures. Paul writes in 2 Timothy, a passage very familiar. All Scriptures breathed out by God is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training righteous. Why? That the man of God may be complete, uh, 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 equipped for every good work. Paul instructs the church in Colossians to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, with singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The prophet Jeremiah writes in his letter, or his book, Gospel, in chapter 8, that the wise men shall be put to shame. Why? They shall be dismayed and taken, behold, because they have rejected the word of God. So what wisdom is in them? Where's the wisdom? If it's not found in the word of God, any philosophy, any religion, any thought could be right, but it very much well could be wrong. The only truth is that which is found in the word of God. To pursue our own passions and desires leads us to ignore others. To unloving attitudes and eventually to death. To long for the word of God will lead you and I to consider others to love one another, and eventually lead us to life eternal. Love one another earnestly and long for that spiritual milk. Now Peter ends with a conditional statement there. 
if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. In other words, he's testing them. He's asking them to examine themselves to see whether or not they're in a faith by saying, if you are one of God's children, then love and long for the things that edify and build up. He quotes Psalms 34 where David sings, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. It's kind of like you and I tasting something very good. We long for those things that we love. This week, I have been loving and longing for chocolate pie. Not yet received it. It's Jacob's fault. He got me thinking about it last week. And so this all week, all I can think is, I need to get my tens and tens and go to Marie Callender's, and I'm just dying for one. And isn't it something, the more that you want something, the more that you love it, the more that you long for it. The worst thing about a diet is you start to love and long for those things you can't have. But so many of us are dieting not only from God's people, but from his word. But yet we don't long for it. We don't love it. Why is that? Why is it a special time when you actually read God's Bible and pray? Why do we have to make time for God? But yet we don't have to really make time for anything else. The things that you love and long for, you will prioritize in your life, in your calendar in your date book, in your entertainment, and in your checkbook. Have you tasted the goodness of God? So love your brothers and sisters in Christ and long for the word of God, for in them you will have life. So how can we do this today? How can you and I practically love others right now? I want to give you something practical. If he tells us to pray and love or to love one another earnestly and he calls us to long for the word of God, then I want to go to the word of God and find out how can I do that today. I want you to walk out here today and I want you to commit to loving and longing for the word of God and loving God's people. So look, if you want, again, to Romans chapter 12. It's here on the screen on the monitor. How can I do that today? Well, let me give it to you real quick. We're going to go through it. Again, we've seen this. We're going to turn to Scripture for we long for Scripture to tell us. Again, you've heard me say it already in verse 9. Let love be genuine. Let's abhor what is evil. Let's hold fast to what is good. Let's love one another with a brotherly affection. Let's outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in our zeal, but be fervent in the spirit. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. I don't need to give you what these mean. These are very clear English words. We understand exactly what this is calling us to do. Verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Open up your home. Open up your lives to others. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. In other words, do not prioritize. Do not make partial friends. Do not give one favor to another. Never be wise in your own sight. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. God knows that there are some people that you're going to be hardwired in your personality that you will just have conflict. Well, he says it's not based on who they are, it's based on you. So with you, live peaceably, live in harmony. 
19, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, say the Lord. To the contrary, in verse 20, he says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I know I went through this scripture quickly. Would you mark it? Maybe this is what you're going to do your devotions on this week. Maybe you could long to understand what scripture has in Romans chapter 12, 9 through 21. But it starts off, I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but by the renewing of your mind. Scripture has much more to say about community living. So let's commit this morning to living out the commands to love earnestly our brothers and sisters in Christ and long for the word of God. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up this morning. This is the part of service where I'm going to ask you to pause for a moment, take a breath. I've kind of just expelled and give you quite a, quite a bit of stuff very quickly. It's time to pause and to consider. What have you heard today? What have you read in Scripture today? Pray and respond to the Holy Spirit's work in you this morning. If you're here this morning and you're a believer, if you have not joined yourself yet to a body of believers, then do so. It's about becoming part of a body. God has ordained the church, a covenant community of believers that love each other to help you in your journey towards sanctification. Find the place where you belong, the place you can become what God has called you to do. Commit to loving the people, serving them, and caring for them. Embrace the word of God as God's revelation of who he is and what he demands of us. Find joy in loving and longing after the things of God. To those believers that you may be here and you're struggling, things are very difficult for you. Hearing this message was difficult for you. The exhortation really is the same. Embrace God's people and embrace his word. Are you loving your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? Or are you following after your own passions, desires? Are you longing after the word of God? Or are you looking for satisfaction in the things of the world? Are you pursuing Christ or your own? If not, then would you commit to do so today? Share your struggles with another child of God. Do not walk alone. For this is God's place of refuge. If you're here today and you do not know Christ, you have not yet submitted to his lordship, you too can share in the blessings of the church. I would beg you, taste and see that God is good. Repent of, love, repent of loving and longing for the things of this world and embrace Christ. I pray that you would do so this morning. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.